This episode is sponsored by Truflation, independent economic and financial data in real time on chain at truflation.com and DYDX, the largest decentralized perpetuals trading platform. Check out the link in this episode's description for more information. Welcome to the Uncut Podcast with your hosts Stefan Rust and Omar Yahya. We're both entrepreneurs, investors in the tech and crypto spaces and have a diverse background in all things venture capital. In this podcast, you'll join us in one of our many conversations where we discuss tech, crypto, exercise, nascent markets, the structure of government, and how we can all move forward as a society. Hey everybody, back again, number 16. There we go, thank you for Omar just correcting me there. Because uh, <laughs> I, I have to post them and so I actually know the numbers. Oh, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, no, we're going to try and uh, scale this up now. So this is really good. But a lot happening, super mega data download this week. There's so many announcements coming out. So at Trueflation, we're going to use every single one of them. We've got the inflation, the all, you know, inflation number that's coming out. And it has no impact on anybody's day-to-day life, by the way, but they're like <laughs> super important. And we have like four Federal Reserve guys going up to Senate and committee hearings and everything. And that gets announced, you know, that's like a God show. They come up, every little word they say, people will be trading in, out, out, buy, buy, sell. But then tomorrow it's totally forgotten. It's irrelevant again. But it's the so whole the format the format that they do it is so crazy. You know that they do That's these so meeting notes where it's like, yeah. this is what we had last time. And somebody posts literally a Microsoft Word like review document that says we removed this word and added this word. Act accordingly. <laughs> and I'm like, what kind of fucking world do we live in? <laughs> You know what I'm talking about, right? It's, it's literally, it's like, oh, look, they removed the comma here. And I'm like, what is this? I know. What it's like, really, it's, it's just. This is, this is what, they, so the uh, economists have a term, this idea of uh, like monetary or fiscal dominance, where this idea yeah. that there's this interplay, like the, where the central bank can force the government's hand to do one thing or another. I, I describe it diff- differently. Like monetary or fiscal dominance literally means the fact that everybody in the economy is forced to trade and is forced to pay attention to these things. That is true fiscal and, and monetary dominance. That nothing you do matters. All that matters is you looking for, you know, the wording change in the document or the comma or whatever. That is true dominance. Yeah. I mean, that's that's pretty, I mean, it's it's, yeah, I, I I put it down to I mean it's dominance, but I think it's also um, arrogance in a way, right? Where do they really still believe that in the lack of literacy amongst the the broader audience base? Yes, right. The answer it's, is the answer is an <laughs> absolute yes. Yeah, so so there's there was an interesting interview. I don't know if you saw John Stewart was interviewing the deputy secretary for defense. Did you see that? I did this morning, and it I just I was so confused. The the the, the sheer I don't even know what to call it at this point. It wasn't even arrogance. It was well beyond yeah. that. It was 
It was, it was and it got it got comical at some point. Maybe describe to the listener the the, the conversation before we get into it. So John Stewart is a famous, uh, used to be a comedian, but I think now has got his own sort of show. And what he does is he just sits down on, uh, on a panel and he had the defense, deputy defense secretary of defense. And defense is one of the, after pension, uh, retirement and Medicaid, the largest consumer of the budget. And it's some and these, 800... And these are- these are funded liabilities, so it's like you, you can't cash it's not like Medicare. Yeah, you cash you out. You, they stuff. need yeah, money exactly. in the bank. Yeah. yeah, you have to pay, and you pay to big manufacturers like Raytheon, Boeing, uh, you know, McDonnell Douglas. I don't even know all the names of these companies, but they are huge companies that are industrialized. Um, yeah, machines that are building a lot of these you know, missiles, rockets, planes. Uh, submarines, uh, aircraft carriers, you name it, uh, as well as satellites and, and, and et cetera, uh, as well as a lot of software to do, uh, you know, sort of necessary um, solutions. Yeah. <laughs> Palantir as well. And that's cash out, right? And so there's like a budget of about $850 billion that goes out to a number of these firms on an annual basis. And so that and so the discussion was he was just asking so where does this money go and she, there was a whole deflection of our audits you know what an audit is about and so the topic became about audits and you know we see the money go in and we see the deliverable come out the, we get a plane but the fact that the plane doesn't come with the missiles doesn't come with the xyz doesn't have you know so none of these tools are included in the accountability and the fact that there's always huge delays in shipment up to two, three, five years and resulting in still an attached payment on inconsistent with every single year as the previous year. So there's no, I haven't got the shipment. I don't need to pay yet because I'm waiting for the installment or I am waiting for, you know, in, in most contractual telecom delivery, which is big infrastructure projects, you have an acceptance you have a preliminary acceptance, a final acceptance. So you have a, a down payment, an initial payment, first phase, second phase, etc. So you, you phase your payments according to deliverables and milestones delivered. And it doesn't seem that the Department of Defense, at least transparently, how those $850 million are being spent. And in this conversation that Jon Stewart was having with this lady, check out YouTube. I mean, it's just... She just has this highly insecure, you know, uh, and it was a, he was so relaxed. I mean, he kept really calm. I'm amazed how relaxed he, he was. He, just like he was just like, "Where's the money? Like, yeah, this is not a big, money. this is not a big deal. Like, I gave you, yeah, I gave you X amount of money. What do you do with it? It's that simple. I mean, do you, do you not remember 2001 Donald Rumsfeld when he was like, "Yeah, there's about a trillion dollars that the DoD can't account for. We just don't know where they are." This was in 2001. And that hasn't changed. So every since 2001, there's a trillion dollars that's unaccounted for multiplied by 20 years. I mean, that's 20 trillion dollars. That's just whoosh. Or I'm sure it's not whoosh, but I'm sure it's in somebody's pocket. And and this, I mean, no I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you where it goes. I mean, he 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 goes out and says this is like uh, like institutionalized corruption. I don't even think so. I think it's I think it's institutionalized uh, incompetence. There's a there's a stark yeah. difference there. 
right? Everybody knows if you want to get into a bidding war, make sure it's on a government contract, right? It's the, again, it's the same with with insurance schemes. It's like you know, uh, you know, fifty dollar Advils. There's a, there's a mechanistic reason why these come about, right? When there's no accountability, when you know at the end somebody's going to foot the bill, when you know there's there nobody's going to come and and ask were these de- delivered to spec. Again, I, we brought this up last time, but if you don't believe me, read the book or watch the movie War Dogs. It was the same thing. There's like nothing was to spec, right? Nothing. Uh, 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 Nothing was even close to being, um, and this was during war conditions. Like the war dogs refers to the the um, uh, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, uh, ammunition efforts, right? And they're like, oh yeah, we would just like we'd go get ammunition from some random warehouse that you know was originally Chinese, <laughs> but we can't we can't actually use that, and so we had to like rebrand. This is all real, and so we yeah, had to yeah, repackage yeah. it like in in in. in the middle of nowhere in Eastern Europe. It's like, it's insane. It was like, they did two movies on that, right? They had the movie, I think, War Dogs, which was done by, I can't remember these two. It was sort of a comical movie. It, it was uh, uh, Jonah Hill. Yes, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, and and yeah, they were constantly just wheeling and dealing. And then ultimately it started getting too big for them to handle. And then... I mean, yeah, it, it ultimately, I think it just catches up at you at some point if you're at the that trading infrastructure, level. That infrastructure still exists. FedBizOps, they changed it. Now it's something else. But Fed, FedBizOps is a real thing. This is a, you, the government would just have these RFPs and they would issue these contracts and you would just go bid for them and that's it. And if you got them, you got them. And then there was another one. Remember, there was a one, not with, with Keanu Reeves, it was with the other guy. Um, Nicholas Cage, where he was also no, uh, an agent no, of no. That war. Was a, that was. Uh, do you know who who that was about? No. Do you know the fella who got released this year with a swap with a basketball player. Remember, there's a female basketball player that got stuck in yes, Russia for yes, having yes, a weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy they let go was the guy that Nicholas Cage was playing in that movie. Um, what was it? Uh, like God of War, Lord of War, something like that. Yeah, something like that, right? Yeah. Same guy. Oh, yeah? that, was, that was that guy. Same guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so, but either way, I mean, still, it's like they there's no accountability to the taxpayers' money, and then there's this whole pressure: tax people more, tax them more, tax the rich, tax more, tax the entrepreneurs, the successful businessmen that have to go through real hardship to fight and struggle, max out on all their credit cards, can't pay their school bills, can't pay the food bills, can't pay the rent, can't pay the salaries, and <laughs> they then have to then come out on the top and struggle and get taxed and get whipped and get lashed. But to a certain extent. Yeah, we should all be working for the government. I'm telling you, we're in the wrong business. <laughs> but I don't think it's it's actually it can't be nice working in the government. No, is it fun? Is it gratifying? What 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 is the incentive and and drive to work in a government? Cool. I don't know. Did I lose you? The uh, uh, is it is it fun? I don't know if it, I don't know if it's yeah for a little bit. I don't know if it's uh, uh, fun necessarily, but it's certainly lucrative. Okay, maybe maybe you have something else going on in your life. Maybe you just yeah, don't maybe. want to worry about. I mean, I mean that uh, uh, a friend of mine who this was a long time ago. Um, 
he was like, I was complaining about the academic structure and tenure and stuff and how a lot of people, when they get, you know, they have, they yeah. just work like really hard for five years, they get tenure and, and, you know, at age, whatever, 32, and then they have a job for life and they literally like, like they don't even have to show up, like barring, like committing some sort of capital crime, you just can't be fired from the university. And he was like, oh, you think this is bad? Try getting employed by the federal government. He said, there's so much paperwork involved in getting you fired. It's not even worth it. They will leave you on the payroll and you can do not just coast. Like coast is not, coast is like a, is like a, a, a big uh, a tech company thing. This is, I'm talking about like punching in, punching out. I mean, there's this great book. <laughs> uh, David Graeber wrote this book. Um, he died recently. Um, it's called Bullshit Jobs. And he, he gets into that. Bullshit jobs. That's exactly yeah. the, it. Is the most entertaining read by far. I guarantee you can have this weekend. And he talked about the story. This is not um, this is not confined to the United States. But he talked about the story. I think it was in Portugal or in Spain of this fella who was working at this water filtration company, and um, he was about to retire. They realized on their books, like, hey, you know, person X is about to retire. He's been with the company for something like whatever, 40 years, 30 years, something like that. We want to give him a lifetime award for all of his efforts. This man has really been a company man. This is, by the way, the water filtration company was owned by the government. And uh, we want to really show our appreciation to this guy. So they go in, they send someone and say, hey, find this guy so we can give him this award. So they go, they go to his desk and they're like, yeah, this guy, he's not here. And then they start doing some digging and realize this guy hasn't showed up to work for years literally for years and he's still on the payroll and he talks about how an incredible fraction of uh, jobs that people do not only are they useless uh, nobody can even articulate why they exist there's a famous story about Carl Icahn Um, I don't know if you know that one where he was doing a, a takeover of this company, some company that made widgets in, um, it was in the, is in the Midwest in the United States. And, uh, during the due diligence process, he realized that these, this company had like an eight story office in a Manhattan high rise. And so he yeah. asked this, he asked this guy, the, the CEO or whatever, he's like, what's going on over there? He's like, you know what? I'm going to be completely honest with you in, in sort of Midwestern fashion. I'm not really sure what, what goes on in that building. And it's eight stories of employees. And so he goes in, he sends a team, he investigates, and they spend a lot of time figuring out what this damn Manhattan office does. And at the end, you know what happens? He realized he literally had no clue what these people did, fired everyone, sold yeah. the real estate. The entire building worth of people unaccounted for nobody knows what they do including the ceo of the company (laughs) production still worked (laughs) the ceo couldn't articulate yeah and so it's amazing and david graber gets into this he talks about something like again excuse the statistics but it's something like 70 percent of jobs are like that of modern day jobs are not only are they useless you you cannot even articulate what people are doing there it's a it's a Rube Goldberg machine. If there's anything that looks like a Rube Goldberg machine, in in the mechanics of employment, it's that. I don't know. Remember you? you I mean, you still you still witness this, but you know, it's like I remember. I mean, this was when I was in the telco days. It was you would go into meetings, and there'd be a lot of people in these meetings, 
and everybody <laughs> would spend the first 20 minutes once part one side of the table would explain what everybody's doing what they are what their title is what they do what they're responsible for and it all by the way sounded so dissimilar <laughs> and then you know, the other 20 minutes was spent doing the same on the other side of the table right it's like we're explaining what we're doing and it's my area of responsibility this is what i do and and then you go in and then it's like, okay, time's up. Meetings go, we've done everything. It's like, but you still have no idea what, what they do, how, who's, who's actually responsible. And there's one guy that actually hosted the meeting and tried to moderate the meeting. And it, that, that, then that became your know, touch point. Could he sway enough of the resources, right? And I think Twitter actually showed us that actually you yeah. can run an organization with what, 900 people that he has now left, right, of the company. Um. Yeah, and Google. Well, it, apparently, what Google? It, Google laid off twelve thousand people, and everybody was moaning and whining and bitching. But they most probably got twenty-four months severance packages or something, right? And it's like, they, yeah. Uh, and 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 I mean, what if Twitter had that many? What is what's the looking? What's it looking like at Google and at Facebook? You know, the layers that are in there that then prohibit innovation and drive and you know, the drive forward. Not only do they do that, they proliferate waste, right? And you can see mechanically yeah. how it comes about. It's not difficult. We've, we've worked in big companies before. You know how yeah. an entire team can just be erected out of nowhere and right. it does nothing because, yeah. of, because of it's removed too far from the decision-making process and removed too yeah. far from the product, right? The recipe for bullshit jobs is it has to be something to be done in the future, right? Something that doesn't tie into the product as is. It has to have a pre-allocated budget yeah. and it has to have it has to be like some sort of some sort of like new venture. Okay, you put yeah. these three things together, and I guarantee you will just find entire departments. <laughs> they could disappear. And the reason again, the reason is the reason is the, the Carl Icahn example worked is because because these three conditions were satisfied. Either they weren't working on anything related to product or they're so far removed. They had a pre-allocated budget, so they didn't have there was no feedback mechanism. You just said, hey, this department gets $50 million, and then somebody's at the head of that department. And their their only job is to make sure that that money flows into that department. That's it. So you that's can it. see there is a that's a recipe for that. So if you if you don't have you need both types of um, um, uh, accountability. You need top down and bottom up. Bottom up, and this is the hard part, you need honest people. You need people that are willing yeah. to raise the flag and say, Listen, like I have my, I have this boss who asked me to do stuff. It's clear he doesn't know what he's doing. So I go to his boss and tell him, listen, like we're just spinning our wheels here. We come in every day and we just like fuck around and nothing really happens. And it's very clear that, you know, to any outsider that we don't do anything of value. And the, the top down approach is hard because when you have 10 departments, if you have a marketing department, you have a product department, you have an engineering department and everybody's worried about their day to day. And so you rarely have cross communication. And at some point, the product becomes so sophisticated that you have bits and pieces um, of the product that you're, that you're associated with or responsible for, but you're not responsible for anything else. And who's going to be the asshole in the room that, you know, at, at the all hands that tells people, hey, what do you do? Right. Uh, Elon Musk, right. What did you do today? What did you do this week kind of thing? So it doesn't happen. So the status quo is when you don't have bottom up accountability and top uh, down accountability, it's just you have this proliferation of waste. And I think, you know, um, I, I, uh, how do you address this, right? How do you tackle this? And I think one way, you know, there's always this desire to set up a committee or a group or a team <laughs> or, 
because you know that way you can uh, you, you i mean on the one hand you need other participants you need experts in specific areas no, as you no, but admit, let's be real in many ways it's it's you're trying to defer and 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 deflect away responsibility of making decision you're trying to socialize you're trying to say listen i don't know what i'm doing but as long as i don't have to make a decision somebody else can worry about it and nobody's willing to no. just raise their hand up and say listen i have no idea what the fuck i'm doing here hello yeah. i have no idea yeah. No, and no. and willing to address it instead they say oh, okay well we just need to we didn't you know we just need to move the garbage somewhere else in the room and at the end of the day you still end up with garbage in the room yeah and it's it, always it, about that right you see the bigger the the bigger a committee is or team or whatever the less responsibility you ultimately have and the narrower and the more narrow your accountability becomes but you're still responsible because you're part of the team right you so it, it's like you 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 really prey on group momentum Whereas uh, I loved what Bezos sort of implemented, right? The pizza box concept where mm -hmm. if a team is bigger than two pizza boxes can feed, well, we don't, that has to be blown up. It has to be broken down into other teams again, right? And so there, I, there was – there's ample evidence. But I was just reading the study. The drop-off for productivity per unit yeah. employee or per unit uh, individual in the group, it's amazing. Beyond two, literally two people. In a group, and the product, the marginal increase in productivity by adding another person to the group drops, like literally, like almost down to, uh, like uh, uh, I don't know, not zero, but like uh, almost down to like the wherever sort of asymptotes. Okay, so that is crazy, right? That's basically saying that like, whenever you have two people working on something, adding a third person basically does nothing. Okay, unless that person is basically working on their own on something that these two people couldn't figure out at all. Okay, that is a very interesting idea. And this, by the way, this refers to people working on the same task. Like yeah, if I have yeah, one yeah, person yeah. working on, on one task and add another person, that's net, net positive and in a way that's sort of non-trivial and probably worth the investment. Yeah. You add a third person to that and that marginal utility drops off very, very quickly. Or sort of plateau. Yeah, because ultimately, if you're two, you're constantly, there's that constant dialogue. There's the constant by back and forth and back and forth and think. And if you add a third person, there's always someone idle in there in the middle for a time period, right? So you don't have the 100% bound, you know. I mean, are, yeah. Uh, and so definitely, you know, I, I, you, you, can't, you can't hide that, right? And um, But, but yeah, in... So, uh, in in the in the development sort of side, I mean, it, it's really hard. We, you know, I, I struggle between the when you're building new product and you want to ship new product, right? At, at the beginning, conceptualizing and defining the new product is really important. You just want one person to bounce back and forth, strategize, get it aligned around the core theme. But when it comes to then building. You need a different course. I need a blockchain developer. I need a Solidity developer. I need a, a front-end designer, right? I mean, if you can have them all in one, then that's amazing. Um, but it's, 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 yeah. Yeah, there's not, not enough time in the world. So what you do is you decide. And then you need a commercial person in there because sometimes there's no commercial. How are we going to make money off this? Oh, no, it's a fucking great idea. But we have no revenue stream. It's like flash of luck. Let's go for it, right? So if you want to mitigate that, you sort of somehow need to blend in. But how do you break down the power dynamics of that group of, let's say, four people? into making sure that it's always by two at the same time and the communication is super synced with each other, right? 
well, first of all, you need an executive structure. You need somebody who's willing to come in and make decisions on behalf of the team yeah. and tell people yeah. what to do at some point. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the second part is the, the bottom, the, the bottom up accountability, which is every single person on whatever sub team they're, they're on and whatever they're working on, they need to be thinking about how their decisions affect all of the other teams. And they need to be thinking, is this the best uh, use of time? Is this the best use of resources? And if the answer is no, then you need constant feedback and checking. And you need to be able to make the decision, hey, listen, we decided we were going to work on ABC. This thing doesn't make any sense. So we need to resync and, and shuffle. And I, I, personally, I mean, I, 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 haven't, I haven't seen a team that functionally works well unless they're on very, very high level of synchrony. It's, it's yeah. basically that simple. It, yeah. Everybody needs to be in sync. And you'd be surprised how quickly ace, like synchronicity falls off when you, have, off, right? you start adding people into the conversation. So I think probably the, the, the number one health metric of how uh, people are performing is just synchronicity. If you walk into a room of 10 people that are working on something, ask them. It, you put them all in separate rooms, like the prisoner dilemma kind of thing. Just get every single one of them, put them in a separate room, and ask them what all the nine other people are doing. And if they can't articulate it to, to within a reasonable measure, they're probably not performing well as a team. Somebody should yeah. go test that. Yeah, I think I think one of the tests that 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 you know, I mean, you you once a team gets bigger, right? I mean, let's say you're hundred employees, you can't have. I mean, you can have all hands maybe once a month or something like that, right? And but nine times out of ten, a lot of the people attending the all hands are doing something else whilst they're listening with another year. So, what what's the point? All being hands there, is right? it's no, it's for morale. Uh, more than yeah, anything it's, else, it's yeah, just, exactly. It's, it's to realize is if you had accountability uh, from the from like bottom up perspective, it's to realize oh there are other people in this company or this enterprise doing something and you know that's that's sort of it. But in no way do you expect anything productive to come out of it from a task orientation perspective. So again, it, it really is: am I there to just spend time? Am I there to do the bare minimum, or, or am I really trying to achieve something? And those, this something cannot be some sort of grand vision. Oh, we're trying to change the world. We're trying to whatever, bank the unbanked, that kind of stuff. It has to be a very specific, quantifiable metric. Another, another actually, since we're since we're jotting down metrics, another very good metric is: Do you know what metric you're quantitatively working towards? Like at the end of the month, how do you reassess how well you you've been performing? How do you know that you're on the right track? And I understand that it, it, very times. In many times, it's it's or in many cases, it's very difficult, and that that is a moving target. But you still have something to you need something to aim at, right? You can't just be shooting in the dark. Yeah, I mean, we we we. I mean, yeah, we don't have. I mean, we get even more granular. We try to do it on a week by. We have monthly targets, and then how are you performing on a week by week basis towards that monthly target, right? Well, and exactly. then how do you? Yeah, that, 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 and so you have a weekly call and then everybody just gives an update. I'm on this track and then you can, I mean, you could see it in a spreadsheet, so you wouldn't need to get on a call, but in a way there's then certain elements because you're decentralized, you, I don't know, we just have a call and, 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 but everybody then has to justify where, why am I not on target or why did I exceed my target? Right. Just explain to everybody how and what you did that was so phenomenal or what really worked on that trajectory that really hit the, and exceeded that target or were, were we aiming too low if i say hey stefan like, yeah, totally. uh, you know you're right yeah you're running a call center i need you to do two calls a day i mean that yeah. doesn't seem very hard right 
I don't know who came up with that, but it doesn't seem like a great metric. And so constant feedback, but also, by the way, just very basic retroactive inspection of the thought process. Like last week, these were, these were the parameters. This is what we were thinking. This week, we learned something new. How does that inform the targets that we had? Like we can't just come up with quarterly targets and then try and hit them regardless, right? We have to ask ourselves why we came up with these targets. Do they continue to make sense? And if the answer is yes, then how are we closer this week than we were last week? And if the answer is no, well, what are the blockers? Immediately. You have to immediately tell me what the blockers are. It can't just be, well, we need to have a meeting to figure out what the blockers were. Wait, so hold on. So which one is which one was it? So if just it, tell me the blocker and then I'll, I'll, yeah, and then we can get on a meeting how to address and overcome that blocker, right? It's like that's that's no, but it's either there's a, it's either there's a blocker, you see it, there's a brick wall, and therefore you weren't able to do what it is that you promised that you would do, or there yeah. isn't. There's no in between. Yeah. There's yeah. no meetings to determine what the blocker was. You tell me right now what the blocker was. Yeah, there's there's the other thing where where you have you know sort of I mean in the Scrum process right you you then have the sort of daily standups that super short, but everybody what did I do yesterday what am I doing today and what is my blocker how can I preempt where you see the challenge which mentally puts you in a mindset I have what what could my blocker be so you're just possibly thinking out in advance what the scenario is what's the most important thing you need to get done today. And what is that potential hurdle for getting that done, right? And so you're automatically just getting into the mindset of just get that one thing done today because that's 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 the shipment that we need to hit. That's the timeline that we're going to hit. And that's the critical map path, right? And if you can do more, great, right? But but the one thing that you really need to get done a day, I think that's 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 really that works, right? And it allows you to because until you've done that, you can't start anything else. Yeah, and I, I agree. This idea of being preemptive, it's very important, but it's also make yeah. sure that it that you don't create sort of artificial problems where there aren't any, right? If you're like, if you're assuming, well, I'm going to run into this blocker because I have to go talk to finance, just assume <laughs> that finance uh, uh, facilitates this and, and act accordingly. You, yeah. you have to have a good pulse. You have to have somebody on the team has to be coordinating with finance and in such good synchrony with finance that when you ask them, ping them like a simple message, hey, do you think this is going to be a problem? They say no problem whatsoever or they say no, this can't be done, right? That is where synchrony matters, right? Cross-team synchrony is very important. That, 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 that's, yeah. And, and, and sometimes it's a bit hard for everybody to get that cross-team synchronicity, right? So... Um, but but yeah, but you need a person um, dedicated again. That's the executive yeah, structure. A person totally, dedicated totally, on the team. Totally. The, the the guy is his job is to manage that team and to make sure that they're able to do exactly what they need to do. And to do that, yeah. he needs to be in sync with all the other teams. That surely that's why you were in that position. That is your job. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. of course, in this day and age, you have to also have some intellectual contribution. You have to be a, an individual contributor as well. You can't just be sitting around just like. Because that's easily replaceable by you know yeah. simple automated emails or or you know productivity or notion or whatever, right? If your entire job is to just show me what everybody else is doing, well, you know, there's a notion for that, right? Yeah, it's it's just not that hard. Yeah. So no, I mean, that, I and that's where are... this, you know, that's where this the the super performance super performers separate themselves from everybody else. Their ability to do right. individual contribution as well as having the ability to coordinate across multiple teams. Yeah, and, and, and there is, 
there is the achievers, you know, and, and there is this sort of quadrant that, that a lot of people use, particularly in the, and it's sort of derived out of the military, right, or the army, which is around teams and, and building out sub teams. And I think it's really used in the Navy SEALs, right? So it's like, um, where they then sort of have the quadrant, right? Do you want high performers, uh, you know, maximum performers, and, and it's trust and performance, right? And so in, in the end, you want high performance and then you can't get high trust and high performance. It's really hard to find those, right? So you sacrifice maybe on the performance side to get better people that you can trust and that can be a better communicator in a team to achieve everything, right? And so how, you know, blending teams and, and a team lead um, that motivates everybody, keeps everybody on track, keeps that synchronicity synchronicity working across team is is ultimately a very um yeah t you know a valuable seal set yeah well if you look speaking of the the navy seals if you look at the those teams those teams are very small and very granular and yeah. and yet we're talking about when they're deployed they're deployed in in the hundreds if not thousands yeah. right yeah. and so but if you look at the nuclear team it's actually a very very small team we're talking about a handful of individuals, five, yeah. six, maybe seven, right? When, when they're going through Hell Week, they're talking about like six individuals per boat, right? This is yeah, your right. team, okay? Yeah. yeah, there's no big ass, you know, Navy team that, you know, and then there's a cross communication across all of these. That, that's not how it works. You have these individual. Oh, hang on, hang on, teams. hang on. Let me, let me, let me get, I, I need, I need to yeah. get. <laughs> We need a meeting about this. We need a committee to discuss the committee meeting. <laughs> where the missiles are landing. an agenda like, prepared for this. <laughs> Again, they're, they're designed to be autonomous and to be yeah. able to, if they were cut off from everybody else, be able to survive and be, and be autonomous and work and figure it out. And then they sort of you know, cross-coordinate and everything has to be done with great tactical precision. But I mean, uh, um, Jocko Willink wrote uh, these beautiful yeah. series of books about the yeah. topic. Yeah. Um, and how you should own their leadership process. And a lot of it translates to business, of course, but over there, it's mission critical. It's do or literally do or die. Yeah. Right. So there's no, there's no, they, and if you look at, at the principles, the principles that they applied, they're mostly communication principles there. It's really not even like anything fancy. It's like, what is a standard way of responding to things? What does this word mean? What does this, that word mean? When I say this, there's a, a, a an SOP, a standard oper like operational procedure, operating, that you're, operating procedure that you're going to go yeah. through. Um, yeah. When we say this word, right, and that's it. That's how the ticking clock continues to tick. There was um, the, just on the operating procedures. How do you simplify? And 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 it always works to me. These sort of quadrants, they're really simple, right? Because it just breaks down all the noise, the the, the legal ease, the the convoluted. Um, processes and and, and and manufactured noise into very clear signals right and and then you need clear judgment right then it's your account you are accountable you cannot hide between a committee of fifty thousand other departments and bureaus and say oh it was not my fault therefore therefore oh no oh, oh by the way what is an audit let me clearly break down what an <laughs> audit really is let's separate these two items and let's go into the item that i know really well and here we can go and talk about audits this is what an audit does whatever whatever and we spent 15 hours on it and you're so tired afterwards. It's like, fuck, I don't want to, I, I wanted to talk about this bit. No, no, no. Because she drilled on this and wounded out the conversation so long that ultimately, so how do we simplify things into 
common sense, right? And literacy is continuously growing, I feel, thanks to more open and social media. And one thing is I was watching this Sean, I don't know, Sean and Andrea, Andrew Bustamante, I can't remember his name, but they do, um, I mean, really, you've got to watch it. You'll love it. It's like perfect. It's really, I'll send it to you. And, um, but he's going in simple terms, right? There's, it's, and he's also a spy, right? He used to be a spy and the other guy <laughs> used to be a Marine, right? So it's like, but he's, uh, he's, he's, he's lived abroad, totally international, you know, speaks Mandarin, speaks Farsi, you know, sort of really, sort of really, um, I, I feel he's got a really good head on, you know, his, his head screwed on really and simplistic, right? He says, look, you know, there's so much noise out there. You got to look at it like he says, there's, there's a likelihood and there's a confidence, right? So what is the likelihood of it happening? Yeah, pretty high, but I don't have enough data to justify it. So I'm low on the confidence level, right? When it's high confidence and it's pretty likely, then I make the decisions, right? Then you go and do that. And so um, in the field, when you're cut off, you have no other choice but to live in that environment. And in general, you have to live in that environment anyway, right? Okay, I think it, uh, I completely agree, and I, I want to look into it. Um, but in 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 the military, the, the accountability is easy because the yeah. unit of currency that we deal with is bodies, right? Yeah. Dead bodies. Dead bodies. You fuck up, people die. It's that simple. So there is no room for error. But um, on the finance team, if you fuck up, whatever, right? And uh, maybe the shareholders will figure it out once a, once, once a quarter. The shareholders will figure it out. If you're in the government, nobody ever finds out. That's, that's the thing. And if they do find out, you can just tell them to fuck off like that lady did. She was like, yeah. shut up, John. What is it to you, John? Who are you asking me that, John? Um <laughs> oh man it was, it, it was interesting and i mean a lot of it came back to you know there's there's a lot of um at the moment right there's a lot of noise around a couple of things right um what's going on around de-dollarization right so people are, are scared about it and i was just watching this other uh, interview on uh, um uh, listening to this other interview I mean, the great thing is when you do t- get up at four in the morning and you do work out, you then have your headphones on, podcasts, quiet outside, focus time, and you listen to everything at 1.75 or 2x speed, you get through a lot of interesting content and listen mm-hmm. and learn a number of different things. And you get depth in special areas that you may not have the expertise in. So if you don't do that, you know, join the club and start getting on to and, and, and getting that competitive <laughs> advantage. But one of the things I was listening to is there was a Bitcoin conference and, and last week and, and, and you know, there's a lot of talk right now about the de-dollarization of everything, right? I mean, it's super early. The dollar is still 80, 85% of global trade is denominated in dollar. And if small contracts around the world sort of move down, but in my view, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, you know, that's what they said about Amazon and, 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 and Barnes and Noble or Netflix and, and, and move and Blockbuster, right? It's like, it starts somewhere and then it just grows and grows and grows. And one of the things that Balaji in his post was saying uh, that we talked about, I think, two or three series ago, was he was saying that the hyper Bitcoinization, he calls it, right, where all of a sudden Bitcoin becomes the new standard or maybe gold or other commodities, right? And what to me was interesting was the fact that a lot of these Bitcoin maxis are, all of a sudden became scared. 
They don't want to live in a utopian world where there's only Bitcoin as the, the sole currency that you can rely on, which is what funny when you fight for 10 years and decades to get to somewhere. I mean, not to, I'm not saying it's happening tomorrow and it's not going to happen. But all of a sudden, when when you're needing your your currency, your you know the the white paper is now becoming a reality. All of a sudden, you stare away from that and you feel that the whole world's going to go into anarchy. It's it's going to break. It. I mean, definitely, if it would happen in ninety days, I think we'd run into a shit show. But <laughs> L- listen, um, I don't blame him. Hard money is hard. Yeah, like when you have fixed fixed cap. What does that What does that dismiss? It dismisses the idea of credit. Right. I mean, the, the the money printing in and of itself is sort of a meme that people talk about. But the yeah. existence of credit in the financial system is the core primitive and backbone of value creation. And people will be like, oh, no, what are you on about? Like, no, no, no. The, the whole premise is that you go borrow. Like I borrow $100 from Stefan and I create $110 worth of value and I give $5 plus principal, so 105 back to Stefan. And I've created $5 worth of value. That's sort of how it works. Yep. In the theory of hard money, it says all of this is facilitated purely by savings, right? There's no there's no credit on in, in, in that conception. It's the idea. Yeah, of course, right? Yeah. Because access to money, if you have a hard money, it, it makes, makes total money, sense. It makes total sense. Yeah, it means the yeah. units of currency always has to appreciate per unit time in, in, in exact proportion to the value created. So you have to... It goes back to the economic planning problem, right? You have to have a really, really good idea of what you're doing, which, by the way, I don't blame. I tell people, I mean, when people come to me, I'm like, you know, debt is something that if you're uncertain, if you don't know, unless we're talking about literally taking money from, you know, borrowing one and then giving it to the other in some sort of like economic arbitrage, borrowing that, debt is very, very dangerous, right? Because debt starts a timer, right? Debt starts your, your, your death clock. And at, su- at some point, it actually doesn't matter how well you do because you will be yeah. overwhelmed by that debt, right? Whereas with savings, yes, your your sort of your ambitions can be capped, but in many ways, it's sort of safer, right? It allows for much more uncertainty because what's the worst that can happen? You just blow through your savings and then sort of life moves on. You're not in perpetually in debt. So, uh, and debt never, and you never run into this idea of, oh, I, I, cannot even be productive to finance the debt, let alone pay back the principal. I can't even pay the interest on the debt. Okay. So you never sort of get into that. So, uh, you know, hard money is hard. But in the sense of hard money, what, what happened in the hard money world was, I mean, Bitcoin has become hard money, right? Because they haven't opened up and extended the capability around DeFi in a way, right? Or they've built these layer twos or centralized systems no, no, to no. enable hard money. Hard money. We're just refer- literally just referring to the fixed supply cap. Exactly right. So, so in 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 the case of Ethereum, though, you have. I mean, you don't have a fixed supply cap. You don't have hard money, right? It was unlimited. That's why I didn't invest in the first time because I just it's like unlimited supply. Why would I invest? You know, it's like, but but. The fact that you now have DeFi capabilities on top of the smart contracts or thanks to smart contracts on top of the blockchain has enabled lending capabilities, right, associated with, but you always had to have collateral there. Of course. And but the, the, the systems built on top of it have nothing to do with whether it's fixed supply or 
or unlimited supply. It just says that you, if you have, if you hold this collateral, that you could sort of give it to someone. Yeah, that's not the point. The point is the fact that if that collateral is the only collateral in the world, yeah, then then you're still limited. Then to that price point. levels are yeah, 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 price levels are unstable. The whole yeah. point of being able to uh, okay, take a step back. The whole point of instituting a central bank and having it coin money. Uh, the the initial mandate of the central bank was to maintain an elastic an elastic supply of money uh, in order to target a stable uh, level of aggregate prices. That's that's yeah. it. That it meant that if the economy was growing, I was injecting, uh, I was increasing the money supply so that the on average, the the value creation is such that the price of everything is stable. And in the case of deflation, it's sort of the opposite. You contract the money supply, all in aims of maintaining a stable price level. But in a hard money system, or you you have you only you can only sort of work one way, right? You can only take away uh, money from the system. You can't sort of add money to the system. You take it away artificially by just hoarding it. Basically, it means price levels are very unstable, and that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, and it means that the there's also this inherent um, rent seeking behavior. People that were earlier into the system don't have to do very much beyond promoting the system and hold on to the collateral. Right, and if and if in ten years everybody is forced to use their collateral, their collateral is very expensive, and they haven't necessarily done anything of value except just be sort of early participants in the system. So hard money but, is hard for that reason. But even even if you look at, I mean, printing new money into the ecosystem, it allows you know, um, yeah, facilitates the growth of capital supply, right? M two or M one, right? And 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 that's. But it is okay. it is the growth of M two and M one. Yes, it is. Sorry, yeah, sorry. it is. <laughs> Let's be articulate about that. That's uh, yeah, totally true, right? So it increases the money supply, and I guess that is what speaks to uh, yeah. And if you have hard money, but either way, even if you do increase the money supply, you still have the issue where lending. In a fiat, in, in in traditional markets, and and according to normal economists, you you there is non recourse lending as well, right? Where I just give it to you based on a business plan, right? And 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 mm -hmm. yeah, which which happens as well, and that's which, largely which because you can yeah. you can do with hard money. It's just yeah. more expensive. Yeah, exactly. It's just more expensive. Um, now again, in an ideal world, and where the bitcoiners live. You have a perfectly efficient and competitive market for capital, and there is an interest rate. It's really a distribution of interest rates, but let's just say an interest rate that determines yeah. the true cost of capital. They call that R star, or the equilibrium interest rate, or whatever. Yeah. And that is determined. To, uh, it's the price of money, just the same as the price of anything else, determined by supply and demand. And if you, uh, if you can, if if it's too high for you, then your your endeavor is, uh, you know, uneconomic and nobody will fund it. If it's too low, you'll lever up. This sort of, you know, idealized toy model of the world, but that's basically how it works. Yeah, so, so we still need an increase in money supply. And that's where inflation obviously comes in as well, right? Where, where by an inflation actually is that addition of money supply moving into the market, right? I mean, that's ideally. Well, it used what to, it, it used to be, it used to be like if you just picked up a dictionary yeah. like hundred years ago, yeah. the word inflation it, it, it meant it. The definition of inflation was 
expanding the money supply because yeah. only the money supply can expand and and uh, and contract right prices don't expand and contract <laughs> it's the expansion and 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 the contraction of the money supply yeah. it can then lead to an increase or decrease in aggregate price levels depending on other things but the lingua franco now and when people refer to inflation they refer to price levels they say Oh, inflation is high. By that, they actually mean that the price of apples and oranges and cars has all went up, and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's that's another way to calculate it, right? I mean, there's always been the calculation of M1, M2, money supply, looking at the balance sheet of the Fed reserves. How much have they printed? How much have they put into the market? Well, not, not anymore. I don't think they're reporting on M2. Oh, I they're not anymore. They just deprecated that. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's like the you know the kid that uh, that is like sent home back in the day. They used to, to send us home with our report cards. They weren't virtual or printed or anything. They were just like a note card with pencil penciled in marks, just you know, A B whatever. And you give that to the kid, and the kid is expected to show that to their parents. So the kid is like, okay, I didn't perform very well here. Let me just erase that. Let me change that 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 pesky C to maybe a B be a little bit more generous it's the same thing if it's like the poor card is not showing what you want it to show you just like hide it yeah it's interesting i mean I, I, you know if you um if you look at um ultrasound money right the website right you see on there very clearly in you know in the the, the different coins right so bitcoin still does have inflation right i mean bitcoin's inflating at the moment at a one percent 1.7 percent per year so there is more money supply coming in with every new block that gets mined right and oh of and course, of course. It, that's just the uh, the subsidies yeah exactly well yeah, yeah i mean yeah, that's the reward for participating in the economy if you will right um, well no it's like saying it's like saying i have I have 10 apples that I'm going to put in this room, but yeah. they're only going to be all in this room after 10 years. Every year, I'm just yeah. going to put one apple into the room. So if you're sitting in the room, it looks like more apples are coming in. But obviously, this sort of stops. It stops, right? Yeah. yeah. And But there are multiple models, right? I mean, I can borrow against... If I have um, X number of mining rigs, I can borrow against those mining rigs in the assumption that these mining rigs will generate, you know, off the back of those 10 apples that are going to come into the room, I will get three of those because I have all the necessary, you know, people trying to catch those apples first or something. I don't know. It's a, well, the magnets to attract those apples here. <laughs> well, the idea with Bitcoin was that it would be uneconomic for people to mine it. Um, uh, initially, because yeah. there would not be enough economic transactions on the network and enough fees, uh, pe people willing to pay for these transactions on the network. And so instead, I'm just going to subsidize it. But at yeah. some point, arbitrarily determined, the network will grow large enough so that the the fees are enough to sustain and we can just stop these subsidies and hit the hard cap limit. This is known as the security budget problem for Bitcoin. Yeah. If, so... A, a currently completely unresolved problem. If if the block subsidies ended today, mining the Bitcoin network would be completely unsustainable because there's just not enough people that think Bitcoin is useful to move around from wallet to wallet. And that's the difference that you have now in Ethereum, right? Where Ethereum 
has shifted away from, has always had unlimited supply. And I don't know what the algorithm was that defined supply into the market and then retraction into the market and when and why they have deflationary. Oh, it changed. It changed over, it changed over time. Yeah. It changed over time. But the Anytime. algorithm changes or, 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 and who defines the community defines that algorithm? Over over the like the trajectory of Ethereum, yes, multiple times the monetary uh, policy has changed, Policies including the most recent one, change. the EIP one five five nine, right? Yeah. This idea yeah. that you'd actually be That's possible true. to net burn. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. changed over time. Yeah. Uh, the hallmark the hallmark of any good technology is it adapts to the times and it changes yeah. and it and it reverses course. This idea of just I'm going to like put this piece of paper in this time capsule and just in in a hundred years we're going to figure out what the result was. I mean, it's an interesting economic and behavioral experiment. So, you know, Bitcoin is interesting in that regard. But in terms of like like a financial system that evolves, I don't think it's kind of I don't think it's particularly useful. That's not what I would do. Hard code, just here's what we're going to do for the next twenty years. You know, you shit out of luck. But I, in many ways, it, it it's still a good reference point. I, it's I a good reference point, right? Somebody somebody had to do that experiment. Yeah. Yeah. But if you if you were told, hey, listen, you you have one shot at designing an economic protocol, and that's it, and the goal is for this to be the dominant economic protocol in the world. I don't know. I I feel like I kind of want like ten shots. I feel like one shot is like too little. <laughs> I don't know about you. I'm not that smart. I feel like I need some iteration, some feedback. Yeah, you need you need iteration. I mean, look at everything in technology. It's gone from iteration one, two, three, four, five, and everything evolves, right? So, I mean, the whole world is continuously evolving, demands economic situations, and and also perfect. Yeah, and that's what I really admire about, in a way, the Ethereum community, how it's constantly evolved their their chain, right? I mean, it's constantly. Uh, adapted from proof of work to proof of stake, and now you got the blurge, splurge, merge, turge. I don't know what they're all called, but all those different. All the urges. All urges. of your urges will be satisfied. <laughs> Every urge. No, I, I, I completely agree. I completely agree in a way that's cautious and a way that's reasonable. I mean, I, I, I think that's definitely the way to go. When, when people complain about, oh, EVM this, EVM that, Ethereum this, I'm like, have you considered the fact that Ethereum has been changing fundamentally for a very long yeah. time? Oh, it's been and, continuously changing, which actually has, is, has, has brought in a whole new set of communities. I mean, look at all the different EVMs that are now building around Ethereum. It's just grown the economy and the landscape around there, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's actually pretty... And instead of it being the Federal Reserve and the FOMC in a closed room defining what you know policy and how much gets printed and how much gets retracted and... Yeah, you know, all of a sudden it's just much more transparent, and it's everybody that participates. Naturally, the more Ethereum you have, the more voting power you have. But but I mean, still, you know, um, in in some ways, in some ways. But to be completely fair, it's still it, it, it's it's there's no gatekeeping, but there is a natural filter. Like let's be real, ninety nine percent of Ethereum holders have no input into. ETH holders rather have no input into yeah. EIPs or how the protocol is going to change. But that's not by because some somebody's gatekeeping, you know, Vitalik with his master node sitting there deciding what to do. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's more that like most people just don't really care at this point. Yeah. But the idea, the idea is that if you were to care, 
that you do have some say in the you program. do have the that option is the interesting part it's yeah. the it's it's that option the problem is is that in in most in all financial systems in the world that are sort of non-digital it doesn't matter whether you care or not you have no say or at least and your you, say is equally weighted it's equally weighted else. right <clears throat> or even i mean in the, in the way right you look at representative democracy or representative economies right so in a way, I'm voting somebody to represent me, or I'm abstaining because I'm too lazy, and I just hope that my community has the better judgment and votes the right kind of people. And in in, in Ethereum, by the way, sounds of it, it's sort of the similar approach to it, right? Where I am sitting in the background, you know, I don't care. I got eat. I know Vitalik's there and all of the EIP buddies that he's got around him. They're all looking <laughs> after this stuff really well. Right? Hey, go on. Sorry, just the way you described it was funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just simplistically, right? I mean, it's like, I, I, I'm just the ETH holder. I, I love it. And so I'm cool with that, right? And it's like a lot of these people building around it, so it must be good. And, it, and, and I just... I'm, I'm abstaining from participating in the voting and the election but, and in the drive but, forward until you, it you gets certain. Yeah. Yeah, you certainly can until it gets it becomes problematic and you have whatever, a million oh. ETH or whatever, and you're like, okay, I'm gonna run a bunch of these nodes and I'm exactly. actually going to run my exactly. own version of the protocol. I'm not going to upgrade to this version. You just introduce an EIP that I, you know, I'm absolutely fundamentally against. I'm going to fork the network. Me and my all of my buddies that we all have a lot of yep. Ethereum, we're going to run our own version of the network. It's a way to opt out. It's the back. Exactly. You have that way. And because it's open source, the code's there. If you can find enough community, you know, participants, you can then go and take a different angle, or you can actually go and engage within the community and try and help steer the community into a given direction. Right. And your, you, your contribution or your opinion is proportional to how much you own in the network. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's. I mean, yeah. So, so, so. I think, I think, the. I mean, where are we going with this? I don't know, but I think it's it's really interesting that you do have the analogies to the real world economy just moving into a new platform, and maybe the 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 Facebook Libra model that everybody was threatened about has been shifted into the Ethereum platform, and the new network state is Ethereum. You know, will we be hosting a flag outside on top of my building with the Ethereum flag, you know, because, you know, I'm, I'm a part of the Ethereum nation. <laughs> I don't know. You know, is that possible? The, the, pro the problem with the analogy, the analogy breaks down because when you start thinking about the individual agents and how they're reliant on the network, right? Yeah. Nobody on the Ethereum network can use it uh, for free and nobody yeah. can rely on other people to just give them stuff. You just can't do that in, yeah. in on the Ethereum network. But you know what you can do? If you live in basically any country in the world, you can do that in relation to government. Okay, You can basically depend on the government for basic things. You can be handed out free things. That is yeah. sort of the, the, the issue. You can participate in the network without providing any value, without taking any risk. That is the problem. Is that ultimately you have... A set of constituents that rely on the network and they yeah, have some yeah. vote in the network but have no stake in the network whatsoever. The entire network can go to shit and it wouldn't matter to them. They have no skin in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not incentivized to upkeep the network, they're just incentivized to leech off the network. Yeah, which, which, yeah. 
It brings you back to the fundamental question that we always get back to the individual agent, right? What are their responsibilities? How are they held accountable? What is their job? What is their duty to the network? And it can't be a philosophical moral duty. It has to be actionable. Yeah. Right? And you need That's skin it's... in the game. But so many people don't want skin in the game in a way, right? Because it means I need, I'm accountable. I'm, I'm responsible. I need to then, actually then, make a decision. Then don't play. Then yeah. Don't play. Don't, yeah, don't, don't. But in the existing the world, I cannot play. I can just have an easy job, sweep the streets. I can, I, I can, you know, be, you know, just not really think too much. I, I you know. Well, I unfortunately, do... even, even that, there's nothing wrong with, I mean, sweeping the streets no. provides immense value. The problem is the people that want money without sweeping the streets, while doing anything at all. Yeah. That's the problem. And remember, yeah. there's just, there's basically in modern society, there's basically no way to opt out. Now you can't just say, I'm not going to use roads anymore, right? You can't say, I'm not going to use, uh, 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 air purification anymore. I'm not going to use water anymore. Like this is just not a thing, right? If you live in areas where let's say, you know, industrial production is such that you need air purification or water purification or whatever, you just can't opt out of this, this stuff or barring literally going out to live in the wild. Most people can't opt out. So by virtue of existing in um, uh, uh, ma major metropolitan areas, by virtue of doing that, you're opting in to live with the state in some capacity, and you're benefiting from the existence of the state in some capacity, either explicit or implicit. The fact that the, the guy next to you on the subway doesn't uh, stab you in the eye and take your shit is because of the implicit protection of the metropolitan police. Right? So, yeah. So the only way is if you is if you just literally just walk away from metropolitan existence completely. And how many people are willing to do that? Very, very, very few. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need to forage and, and hunt for sustenance. And just by a casual uh, walk outside, you'll see most people are physically unfit to even begin to think about this thing. It's interesting. It, 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 it's definitely going to be... Um, uh, an interesting evolution and in, in, in this, you know, sort of the world, how the world sort of evolves and where it goes, right? I mean, you know, talking about physical world and, 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 and real world, right? I don't know if you saw, um, you, know, J, you know, Jamie Dimon was giving a speech for JP Morgan, right? And so, you know, he was actually, you know, really you know, pushing the ESG agenda and going to the, so, to the, to the extent where, actually proposing the um the what do you call it taking away you know using underutilized real estate and property and converting that into sort of you know wind farms you know and for esg purposes right and so that to me is is an interesting angle is that something that is realistic is that something that's just been blown out of proportion I don't know. I just saw that headline and and, and that sort of picked uh, picked that up last week in the news. Do you know about that or did you see that? No, no, not in any. Yeah, but the, I wouldn't be surprised. That's what bankers do best. They squeeze they squeeze every dime out of the collateral that they have. If it's a non producing <laughs> asset, they're like, okay, how do we make more money? <laughs> because that sort of Fine. comes back to the big issue around commercial real estate, right? You've had a lot of this work from home. You've realized a lot of people now are working from home. Not everybody always wants to go back to the office. You have huge costs. You don't need anymore. And I remember when I was at Sun, we were working at 
a ratio of 0.8 people per desk. So you didn't have one per desk per person. You worked out that you only needed 0.8 per desk. You needed more meeting rooms, so you had to shift the, the, the angle. Um, but at the time, because you're on a business trip, you're away, you're moving between one office and the other, you're out on a sales call, right? So you didn't have that, that, that ratio of one-to-one. -one. You needed the workspace and calculations anymore. And, and so with all of this WeWork space, with these um, work from home, right, saves you lots of commute time. You're immediately productive from one to zero. And if you need to run an errand, you just do it from your home. Don't need to go out anymore. Um, and so as a result, a lot of the commercial real estate, is, and then if you're in San Francisco, maybe you don't want to go back to the office because who knows what happens downtown. But but um, based on the noise and the pictures that you see, so I can't judge. I don't. I haven't been there in a long time. But um, you know, uh, yeah. So so all of a sudden, there's this huge commercial real estate, which represents a large portion of asset base for a lot of these institutions. What do you do with that? How do you now convert that into something that is of utility, of value? And maybe the government needs to come and bail you out and buy you out of that property. <laughs> well, listen, it gets worse because those assets, uh, they're not sitting on the left side of the balance sheet. They're, they're, in many ways, they're, uh, they've been funded by debt, by liabilities, yeah. right? So not only do you need to figure out a solution, you need to figure it out quickly yeah. because these assets were bid up at the pico top of the uh, of the housing market, and yeah. at basically zero interest rates. At zero interest rates, right? Yeah. So it it is a ticking time bomb on the actual debt that was used to finance these acquisitions or these turnovers or whatever. I mean, it's not the first time this has happened, right? I mean, we've gone through a number of re real real estate. Yeah, it's called two, <laughs> two, two, two thousand eight. You remember that? Yeah. Well, we yeah. almost broke everything. That's basically that. Yeah. Actually, it was basically that. You had a, a massive, massive market, but this was deeply ingrained in at the commercial, not just the commercial level, but at the residential level. The residential level was the problem because you could see it. You you know you could literally see empty houses in Florida and stuff. So this was kind of when it got really spooky and when pe and it became like a. This is not. In, in some markets, this is pretty common. Like in the US, the majority of people own some sorts of equity in public companies. In China, for example, it's the opposite. Like 70% of people, all their money, they don't invest in Chinese stock market because it's, it's very limited in terms of capital yeah, inflow and yeah. regulated, not regulated. I don't know what, how to even call it. It's just like, it's, it's weird. It's gambling, right? Um, I mean, it's just, just pure. <laughs> so pure what people do is they own, they own real estate. And if you, yeah. yeah, and they have their own version of that blowing up. You see like videos of entire high rises being demolished like they're going through demolition because it's Just not empty. even worth the, the yeah. soil yeah it's completely empty and they're like no they're in, no 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 there aren't i know actually because the, the friends of mine um um were involved in this a long time ago um there are entire cities cities complete cities they're empty we're not talking about a tower here and there we're talking about entire cities there's just nobody there <laughs> There's actually a documentary, uh, you know, the 10 most empty cities in the world or something. Or like in Spain, they built this airport. I don't know. There was a, who was the car? Jeremy Clarkson. He did this car trip through Spain and they stopped over in this airport in the middle of nowhere, gazillions of dollars built out, not gazillion, I mean, maybe billions of dollars to build out this airport 
hot, you know, and it was still intact. I mean, the computers were still there, desks were there, but I mean, nobody again, was there. And air, airport is one thing. I'm talking about entire cities. Cities, man, city. it's like amazing. This is cost. I don't know when last time you checked, but like bootstrapping a city is like we're not talking billions. We're talking about trillions. Yeah. To bootstrap a city for its lifetime, we're talking about trillions of dollars. It's an enormous cash, <laughs> just cash dumpster fire. Yeah. I guess there's, there's all that money out there to, to fund that, right? I mean, that's why the printing of the money and the money money supply has been growing to, to fund that. I don't know. Or or the somebody's provided collateral, the city has a collateral no, to, again, to raise To that. the extent, probably not, probably not. To the extent that it is useful and somebody does something with it, fantastic. To the extent that yeah. it's not useful, yeah. that's yeah. just money wasted. And you've socialized yeah. the, those losses across all of the all the currency holders. That's how it works. Yep. That's how money works, ladies and gentlemen. And I think we talked about it quite a lot. So I hope that was interesting. Um, always, uh, you know, always exciting. Amusing, amusing at least. I don't know if it was interesting, but it was certainly amusing. I had a laugh. <laughs> no, I, I think, um, yeah, no, I think that this, we're still going through a grow, I mean, I don't know, financial literacy is growing, right? And, and and I just think there's no doubt about it. Every It's growing at all fronts. And the need for individuals to participate in understanding how best to engage as your financial literacy evolves, where to make your bets is, is really important, right? And, and, and yeah. And so hopefully we shed some light on that as well. Or if not, we'll see you next week anyway. Yeah, we're going to do episode 17 next time. <laughs> or 16, 17. <laughs> 17, 17, next time. 17. See you guys. Thank you, man. All right, everyone.